are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. So I'm talking, last week we talked about fasting, and uh, I'm just going to say, if you can give God one week of your life in prayer and fasting, he'll do more in one week than you can do in one year. Just, that's the way it is. It's amazing. It's been a great week. And uh, today I'm going to talk about prayer, and specifically, I'm going to talk about uh, spiritual warfare, uh, personal spiritual warfare, not corporate. So you can't stand at the city gate and just tell Satan to get out of your city and expect everything to be completely different. Because when you do corporate warfare, you need a corporate presence. You need a unity of your city, and it's, it's big-time stuff. Not saying that you can't pray for your city, but when it comes to taking authority, you only have an authority up to... Uh, you can only speak in authority up to as an authority as you have in your life, okay? So what I'm talking about is not that. I'm talking about personal. So personal warfare, um, we are spiritual beings, and we're inside this human shell, okay? So we are eternal, but we are also mortal. And uh, I just like to imagine, and I like to imagine with the Lord, and I think, what was it like when you created Adam? And I, I knew I was going to be talking about spiritual warfare, and so I said, Lord, what would that have looked like? And just, I'm not saying this is in the Bible at all. I'm just saying I could, I could think about it, and I could think of God creating from the earth, forming a man. And I could think that he would just be so delighted because he knew what he was doing. And then I imagined, imagine if Satan came up and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm making a man. A man? What's a man? Well, he's going to be a human, and he's going to have to, he's going to be able to think and reason. He's going to have a soul. He's going to have to sleep. He's going to have to eat for strength. He's, he's going to be really, really special. Why would you create a man? Because I want a family because I want relationship, and I'm going to love him. So he's going to be a servant? No. He's going to have a free will. He's going to be weak? No. My spirit, if he chooses, is going to dwell in him, and he's going to be strong. And I could just imagine the enemy running away thinking, I've got it. I know how to get my enemy now. I got it. If I, if I wound this creation that he loves so much, I'll wound him. If, if I can get this creation to turn against him, oh, it's a marvelous plan. And he's been working on that plan ever since God created Adam. And ever since you were knit in your mom's womb, he's been having that same plan. When life is good, we tend to not think of our spirit or our spiritual realm that surrounds us. I had a dream a few years back that um, I was outside this building, and I climbed in the building, and when I got inside the building, I realized it was a hospital, and I would go around to people in their bed, and I'd say, do you want to leave? And if they said yes, I'd say, come on. 
but I couldn't get them out because the doctors and the nurses were kind of blocking us, and so we had to get around them. And it was just such an, a strange dream that I said to the Lord afterwards, what does that mean? And he said, the hospital is actually a prison, and the doctors and nurses, they represent the evil spirits that don't want to let them go. Now, I'm not saying literally, because if you've ever broken an arm or had an infection, thank you, Lord, for doctors and nurses. They are the hand of God extended. But I'm saying it was a representation. And so what God showed me, he said, Cindy, I'm going to help you. You're going to help me get people out of those dark places. That's going to be what you're going to do. And he said, I want you to notice what the spiritual realm is like, because this is what he was telling me. The things that um, appear one way in the natural are quite often the opposite in the spiritual realm. It can look like this is, this is a great thing, but when you look at it in the, other, in, in the flip side, you say, oh my goodness, this isn't God at all. And it's not God's plan that people would be in hospitals forever. He does want us to, in the spiritual realm, wake them up and say, do you want to go? And if they say yes, then we help them get out. So Ephesians uh, 6 verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And what does it mean to struggle? It means um, wrestle against flesh and blood means to struggle. And flesh and blood actually means humans. So what... Paul is saying is that our war is not against the government. It's not against social conventions or laws. It's rather, Paul said, he thought that per, it was personal spirits seeking to disrupt life as God intended it. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So the doctors and the nurses, they're not our enemy. Uh, clerks in stores, not our enemy. Your spouse? Nope. Your ex? Nope. Your children? Nope. <laughs> uh, the person who puts you on hold? Not your enemy. <laughs> teachers or your kids' teachers? Nope. Police? Nope. Lance? Fish and game officer? Nope. <laughs> your neighbors are not your enemy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not my enemy. Good. Get that off your chest. So I kind of struggled with this, and I would say, like, God, I understand that you're saying that there is a spiritual side. I, I get that. But the person is the one who is speaking the words, and they choose to speak them. And the person is the one who's doing the actions, and I think they're choosing to do the actions. So how is it that that person is not my enemy. And how am I supposed to love that person when they're doing and saying those things? Because really, if I love them, am I not just condoning or endorsing what they're doing? Am I not saying that's okay? And, and this is one of the things he showed me through doing different ministry stuff. Lance, can you just stand behind Mackenzie? This is my daughter, she's amazing. And we never have any arguments, do we Mackenzie? Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> okay, she's honest. I taught her that. Okay. So, you know, this is my daughter. You could, 
imagine it to be whoever your conflict person is, your, your boss, that person on the other side of the counter, um, whatever. And this is how the picture the Lord showed me. I look at Mackenzie, and I can honestly look in her eyes, and I can say, man, I love you. I know that God is the one who created you. I know he has good plans for you. But when something in her is trying to trigger me to really push back against that, this is what I do. I recognize that there's a spirit that's in operation here, and so my heart can completely love and, and adore this girl and agree with God's plans, but this is what happens. My spirit inside of me that is attent, attentive and alert, it is very recognizing that something's trying to trigger me through her, and it's behind her, and it's looking at me, and when her and I may possibly get into an argument or have a disagreement about something, and that thing, I have to recognize, I love this girl, but there's something around her that's trying to engage me to fight, and it's just looking at me, and it's just saying, come on, come on, you know you want to say something. Come on, do it. Just, just step into this argument with me. Just step into this disagreement. And that's what Paul's talking about. We don't wrestle against the flesh and the blood, but against the principalities. And so sometimes we need to recognize that what we're looking at, who we're talking to, who we're engaging with, that's not the problem. The problem's bigger, and the problem's behind there. And you can love this person, but your spirit is saying, I see you and I will not come under your control. And the Bible says, thanks guys, the Bible says to resist the enemy and he will flee with you. And in Jude, Jude said, um, you know what, there were actual people during the, the writing of Jude, and he said there were people who were taunting the enemy and they made a thing of kind of like, uh, you know, speaking down to the enemy and taunting the devil. And he says, don't do that. He says, you know what, the archangel Michael said, let the Lord deal with you. So if the archangel Michael is not engaging with the enemy in a, in a taunting, uh, throwback way, then who are we? And just don't, just resist him. And so, uh, you know, when, I, when my kids were younger and I was teaching them how to pray, and you know how kids have so many questions, and, well, can't we pray that the devil will get saved? And, hey, mom, like, you know, let's, oh, really? Well, let's just tell the devil. And I, I told them, no, we don't do that. We just resist him. We know he's there, but we just resist him and um, put our energy toward pursuing God, not toward engaging with the enemy. So we know we do have an enemy. It's spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness. There are evil spirits that taunt and torment and deceive with the intent to draw us away from God and to ultimately have a permanent hold on us. That's, that's the enemy's... Um, goal. There are two areas that become a problem in knowing who our enemy is. And number one is underestimating him. And number two is overestimating him. And the problem is, is that we need to be aware of his strategies. But the problem is sometimes we become in fear of him. And it's like both of those are wrong. We don't, we don't want to say he doesn't exist, but we don't want to come under fear of him. It's kind of like the news, you know, like uh, have you ever met people who say, I just don't watch the news because it's depressing? 
And, you know, it is kind of depressing. But I think as Christians, we just need to be aware of the headlines. We need to know what's happening in our world because the Bible says we need to pray for our leaders and we need to pray for our country. And, you know, so we, we got to know. But yet there's the other extreme that if you listen to the news thing 24-7, that's what you're filling your spirit with. And it won't be long before you do walk in a spirit of fear. Absolutely. So uh, we need that balance to be aware, not to underestimate or overestimate. Why we don't fear him is because of Calvary. And I just love uh, this, that why are we experiencing warfare now if Satan is defeated? Okay? So here's the analogy. Calvary was like D-Day. Okay, D-Day is when they stormed the beaches of Normandy and they made the biggest impact in the war, but there was still a little time after that that the war was going on and the fight was happening. So Calvary was D-Day, but the day is coming. And the day he will be dealt with forever. But in the meantime, we do have this struggle against the enemy. We don't want to underestimate him thinking things like, you know what, he just won't bother with me. I'm just not worth it, you know? And I used to think that about identity theft. I thought, really, if someone's going to steal someone's identity, I don't think they're going after mine. Like, you know, if you've got $20 in your savings account, I don't really think that people are going to be like, woo, we, we hit the jackpot. But I realized it's not your money they're after, it's your identity. And when you lose your identity, it messes up your whole life, Right? And that's what the enemy's after. He's not after your valuables. He doesn't want your inheritance. He wants your identity. And so don't be deceived that he wouldn't want to bother with you. He is the father of lies, and he does seek to devour, not just to maim or to wound, but he seeks to devour. Revelations 12, 12 says his time is short, and he knows it. So... We need to know that as these times um, continue to uh, move closer to the return of the Lord, that he is um, busy. He knows his time is short. So I've recently uh, read a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Has anybody read it? It's like so awesome. I'm telling you, every Christian should read it just to have an eye-opener of what spiritual warfare is like. So the premise of the book, C.S. Lewis, of course, we all know him from writing Narnia and stuff, but he was a very inspired writer. He wrote during the time of World War II. He was actually commissioned by the Queen to give speeches to the royal air crews who were leaving to fight, many of them who would not return. So he's a very inspiring man. And um, anyway, the premise of his book uh, screw tape letters is that a retired demon was writing letters to his nephew who was just coming into the business and he, his nephew had been assigned a patient and uh, so he would give him advice on how to how to do this job and so you're basically looking at the kingdom through the flip side and there's nothing graphic or really gross in there or anything it's just it's really basic and it shows really the subtlety of the enemy and I think sometimes, like Song of Solomon talks about, catch the foxes in the vineyard. Catch those small things, the little foxes. 
And we need to be so aware of that because it's the subtlety that will rock you to sleep. It's the subtlety that will take the good things that God has given you and turn them into vicious sins in your life and separate you. And we need to be aware. Subtlety is, n is not subtle in its result, okay? Uh, so this retired demon gives him advice. So I'm just going to shoot you some of these uh, things in the book that I thought were amazing. He says, if you can keep your patient from praying, do it. He goes, but if he does pray, try to keep him list-focused. Whatever you do, don't let him start to ponder the deeper things of life. And don't let him start becoming honest. Because he becomes honest, that horrible presence is going to show up. And when that cloud shows up around a human and they're honest with God, we can't penetrate that cloud. Isn't that amazing that he says, just keep them on repetitious prayers. Treat, remind them of prayers of their childhood. Try to keep them distracted from being. And uh, another one was, he said, the bombs are coming from the war closer to the city. This is great. People are dying. And the, and the senior demon says to him, don't rejoice about that. Who cares? He says, what we want, he goes, right now your patient's a Christian. He goes, if he dies now, we lose him. Better yet, he had a longer life. Maybe his middle ages, he will become cold. Or perhaps in his senior years, he will become bitter and actually curse the one who, who created him. And it's amazing that we always think, well, death is like, oh, the enemy's trying to take someone out. Not always. He says, don't waste, times, don't waste your time with the big things like murder. He goes, when gambling will quite often do the trick. And isn't that so even relevant today? It's the little things that can slip in there that why would the enemy care to, you know, make you an atheist when he can just soak up every bit of your time doing something that's maybe not as um, controversial in your opinion? Distraction by good things can become the sin that hinders us. And uh, one of the things was, he says, get him to focus on things that society says is good. He says, don't let him read books he likes. Don't let him go for walks in nature. Don't let him really, you know, have true pleasure and enjoyment. But whatever society says is good, let him follow that. Read the books that are current. Follow the people who are, pro who are prominent. He says, get him focused on, is this progressive? Not as the enemy says, is it good? Is it acceptable? Is it, you know, the things of the spirit? Don't, don't let them focus on that. Just let them look at, is this what society is following? Is this futuristic? Next was the lies about God. Anything, any lie you can say to draw them away. Things like, he's mad at you. He's left you. God is mean. He doesn't care. He can help you, but he won't. Lies about themselves. You, you think you're a Christian? You feel guilty, therefore you are guilty. Lies can become strongholds. So when we don't deal with the lies that we're hearing, they just get bigger and bigger, heavier and heavier, and they become a belief, okay? And this is what happens with feelings. God's the one who gave us emotions. He has emotions, and he loves that about us. 
but they don't get to lead our life because emotions, although they feel real, they don't always tell us the truth. So this is the problem. When you have emotions that aren't checked and go unchecked, especially negative emotions, those emotions grow and grow and grow, and they become strongholds of like a spiritual attachment. And you know what? You can start off feeling a little bit guilty about something, but when you start feeling shame, I can guarantee you, shame is not a feeling, it's a spirit. And, and that needs to be dealt with. So um, the other thing he said is um, also with pride. Just tell them you're better than most people. If you can get them looking around and get them eyes, their eyes off judging themselves, have them judge those around them. Have them judge the government, their bosses, people in church. Have them sit in church and look around and think, I know who you really are. But keep them from judging themselves. Keep them from surveying their own life. And if you can do that, you will be doing well. Um, a book by Jerry Bridges is called The Gospel of Grace. And uh, he talks about this awesome way of keeping the balance of truth in our life. Because the truth is, we were saved by grace. We were sinners. But we are also a daughter of the king, a, a child of the king, a prince. So where do we find this balance that we don't think too much of ourselves because it's all God's glory, but yet we know where we came from? And have you ever noticed in, um, in places like, I um, can't think of the word, food shelters or addiction centers where they help people, quite often the people who work there are the people who have gone through recovery themselves. And do you know how they can be so close to that atmosphere and not get re-ensnared? Because it's a reminder. And it reminds them all the time that, you know what? This is where I came from. And I'm so grateful. And I just want to help other people get out of it. So it actually, most of the time, doesn't pull them back in. But it helps them to stay free longer and to stay in their freedom. So Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Gospel of Grace, talks about um, he says, to keep this balance of not stepping into pride or thinking too low of yourself, he says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And so I started thinking about that. I said, well, what does that mean, preach the gospel to myself, like ask the Lord into my heart, if you believe and confess your sin? Like I was just thinking of the formal way we pray. And um, I sat with the Lord, and I grabbed my journal, and I just asked him, I said, what would it look like for me to preach the gospel to myself? So I tried to think about when I became a Christian, and uh, my aunt is here, which I did not know she would be here today. She's all the way from Newfoundland. Hi, Auntie Dar. Just wave so everyone knows. They'll see how. That's my dad's sister, his baby sister. And she was there the night I gave, rededicated my heart to the Lord. I was quite a prodigal daughter, and I came in, I'm telling you, I was not one who ran to the altar. I came in limping and feeling so ashamed of myself and unworthy. And she is the one who actually opened that door to say to me, Cindy, why don't you just give your life back to God? And I just, everything in me wanted to, but I just felt like, are you crazy? I'm so far from what God, anything that God would want. So I sat with the Lord. I remembered that night. 
I sat with the Lord and I wrote this. And it was totally God who gave me this because I, I couldn't write anything this fast and this awesome in, in, if I tried. But the gospel to me, I was far away while I was yet, I was far away while I was yet a long way off. He ran out to meet me. I still had a hard heart, but he wouldn't listen. As I told him the reasons I wouldn't be able to be faithful, he put his ring on my finger. And he said, my daughter's home. And when I began to list my sins, one of which I was sure was blaspheming the Holy Spirit, he took my filthy covering and he gave me his robe. And I tried to tell him, But he just kept telling everyone in a loud, exuberant voice. My daughter was lost, but now she's found. She was far away, but now she's back. And I begin to cry, thinking he doesn't get it. I'm not sure I can make it. It's too soon to rejoice. And he just wiped my tears. And he laughed at my lack of understanding. And he said to his servants, hurry, prepare a feast. My beautiful daughter's home, who I've been waiting for. And I just thought, I was so touched by how much how God would show me that picture. And I just thought, you know what? If I told myself that story every day, I would surely not be in error of thinking too much of myself. And I would not be in error of thinking that I'm not valuable. So think about what would your story look like and sound like? I asked a few friends this question, this scenario, and I said, hey, um, after reading the C.S. Lewis book, I want to give you a scenario. And they, I said, I want your answer. And, he's, and, they, and the scenario was this. I said, tomorrow's Monday morning, and in hell, there's a team meeting, and they're discussing their plans for your week. What were the, what's that conversation going to sound like? So I said, I want you to email me your answers. And they did. And uh, here are some of their answers. Keep them busy and distracted. Too busy to pray. One person said, cause me to feel fearful because my husband's away. And he probably knows that when I'm alone, it's such uh, a struggle to not buy into fear. Someone said, tell me I won't get better and that I'm a victim. Intimidate me. Accuse me of being fake. Steal my hope that I will ever get better. Become blind and deaf to the enemy's wiles and to God's whispers. God's promises will never come true. What a mess. He is so subtle. I, I was surprised that none of them gave me examples of really big attacking things, but they were all these subtle things that were just so relevant to where they were and who they were. So I said, okay, second part of the scenario is this. Good news, hallelujah, there's also a team meeting in heaven. And the Father is saying to the Holy Spirit, I know all things. I know what the enemy's planning this week. Can you please put this in their hand so they can combat these things? And so these were their answers for that. Let 
let her feel loved. He would send someone to encourage me. He would send someone to pray for me. He would remind me of my past victories. And this is what I love. They all had this in common. Everyone said he would remind me of scripture. Things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He would say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He would remind me that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. He would remind me, you are more than a conqueror. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, he delivers them of them all. And the last one that someone told me is, God is not a man that he would lie. And uh, we have to not just be aware of what the enemy's up to, but more so, we need to be tuning our ear to the Lord and saying, God, <laughs> what have you got for me this week? I really need to be tuned into your plans because you just don't know. We leave this place and we come back next week and we don't know what's, gonna, what, what's in store for us. Essentially, the wiles of the enemy become the weight. We need to unpack the spiritual things that are weighing us down. I want to close with this verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which is so easily ensnares us, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us. These lies and false beliefs and feelings, if not washed away daily, they become the attachments we carry around. Stand up, kids. Put this on. So the thing I want us to know is that not only is there a spiritual realm of the enemy, but there is a spiritual realm, and the Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses. They're not spectators, they're witnesses. And the reason they're witnesses is because they have already overcome, okay? And let me tell you, if the Apostle Paul can survive prison, beatings, shipwrecking, much worse then do you think if God was enough for him, he could be enough for us? I so think that. And I so think it is so simple and subtle that we get our eyes off of the one who created us, the overcoming one, the one who dealt the mortal blow. So in, if we do this, we're putting in our backpack the things like intimidation. You're a very smart girl. Your backpack is closed. <laughs> Temptation, slander, unforgiveness. Who carries around worrying about your kids, even when they're grown up? Unbelief. God, I believe it for other people, but why can't I believe it for me? Rejection. I'm never, I'm never going to be good enough. Is it getting too heavy?
control. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Every time I think I've released control, I realize there's a whole other acreage of control that I didn't even know I owned. It's a daily thing to give up control. Pride. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Do you know the kind of people who stood and prayed, God, thank you, I am not like these others? They were Pharisees. They didn't really have a good reputation with God. Just walk to there and back, honey. So Paul just said, you know, all these things that hinder us, and some of them are good things. You know, sin doesn't have to be, have to be known, uh, sins of knowledge, but they can be those things that are good, that just become, they start off as so simple, and before you know it, you've got a big old idol that you've been bowing down to. And Mackenzie, how easy is it to walk with this on? Easy. Mm. How about if you had to walk with this every single day from morning till night? Since I have two backpacks, I'd have to carry one for school and this. That would be torturous. That would be torturous. You can put it on here. Do you need help? My backpack's full of all my textbooks. Yeah. Thank you, sweetie. But just an example, a visual picture to show you how many of us are just walking around with this weight of stuff and you know what? You might just have one or two things in there that have just grown and grown and grown. Or you could have a whole bunch. But do you guys remember when Keith's brother gave his testimony about dealing with suicide? And he said, when my family prayed for me, what happened was it felt like a shower like I had never had before. The shower that cleansed and washed everything away. And that's the thing. You can't counsel strongholds. They need to be gotten rid of. And you're the one with the authority over your own life. We're talking about personal. And if you're willing to say, God, would you unpack this backpack with me? He will. He'll take all those things out. He'll wash you. He'll take them all away. And um, let's just bow our heads. Maybe you're like me. Maybe when you think of your gospel story, you came into the gospel limping. I know I, I just said the sinner's prayer with my aunt, and I said, and the next thing she said was, let's drive an hour to your parents' house so they can t we can tell them and surprise them. And I thought, are you crazy? I don't even know if I'll last till tomorrow. Maybe you came in like that, just with, with just one leg in and kind of limping and not sure. That's okay. Because you know why God rejoiced over me? Because he knew today would happen. He, would, he knew that as broken and as wounded as I was, one day I'd be able to stand in front of people and proclaim, he's faithful. You don't have to be faithful because he is. He looks at everything in our heart, and he is not intimidated. He is not put off. His hand's extended. And there's a part, there's a part of warfare where when we don't deal with these things, they just have the authority to grow and grow and grow. And when you clean out a house, the Bible says you've got to keep it clean and let it be occupied by the good stuff. Because if you don't let the Lord occupy your house, that thing is going to come back. And the scary thing is it brings friends. You don't want that.
Don't let busyness be the thing that steals your salvation. Don't let being distracted be what takes you away from what you were created for. Remember, when he created us, he knew. He knew from then. And he knew that he would put his spirit in us, and he knew we would be weak. He knew we would need him. So I'm just, I know it's late in the service. I'm so glad that um, we had the time to share. And I just ask you to just bow your head. Maybe we could even just put on a CD, Jason, uh, a worship song. And uh, although our kids do need to be picked up for those in child care, I just invite you. Would you even just kneel where you are if, if you have to do business with God? You know, the Bible says that Satan trembles at the weakest Christian on their knees. And there are all kinds of ways to pray. You can pray standing, dancing, shouting, prostrate before the Lord. But sometimes the act of kneeling is just kneeling before that great king of honoring him and saying, I just give it all to you. I give you every bill. I give you every child I have. I give you every worry. I give you my tomorrow. I give you the next day. I give you the thing that I've been struggling with, which feels like forever. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.